Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Do you smell what the Bearcats are cooking? It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcats football fan. Indeed, it is. Your Cincinnati Bearcats are now our, ranked. Our our Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bearcats. Bearcats are now ranked six in the country after beating down the Memphis Tigers 49-10. I repeat, 49-10. An absolute beatdown at Nippert Stadium. I think when we put we must have put them in a very tricky parking lot that was very hard to see the exits if you guys know what i'm talking about you know those parking lots where you, there's only really one way in but you can drive another way and it looks like it's an entrance and you realize oh shoot now you got to back up and that's i'm sure that's pretty hard to do when you have to bring a bus you know it's hard to maneuver those buses in these parking lots especially around all the the poles with the the, the lights that, that are that are shining down to make sure you can see things at night I'm sure it's a very challenging environment for them. Um, you know, I'm sure being able to practice in a dome had a huge, huge impact on their ability to execute. Or maybe the Bearcats are just that good. Hummer, I think all, all, everything you said was fair, but I think it comes down to the fact that our Cincinnati Bearcats are one of the best teams in the country right now. There's no disputing that at this point. The, the performances are getting better week in, week out. Desmond Ritter is taking his game to a, to a transcendent level at this point. His last two games have been nothing short of Heisman status. Now, is, is his season Heisman, Heisman worthy? No. But the way he has played these last two games, it is the stuff of Heisman house, Hummer. Um, but I do- I'm not quite ready to say – I think last game, absolutely. This game, he still played phenomenal. I just don't want – I can't throw the word Heisman out there. I'm going to throw, you know, Heisman watch. I'm just saying it's esque. Watch. He's not a Heisman candidate at this point. That's not what he is. The first three games, he struggled mightily. Uh, but the, the performances themselves were esque. Heisman-esque. Okay. I mean, I'll give you that. He, he did throw, he had a great day through, through the air uh, in this particular game. You know, we saw, we saw, I think something that Fickle has been wanting to do all year, which is still be able to air the ball out a little bit. Uh, you know, we saw that through the army game where we were, we were definitely trying to take our shots downfield with open receivers. We were having a hard time hitting them. We're still not taking nearly as many downfield shots. And I guess that's, we're all the better for it. But we, we connected on some of them. We connected on some big passes throughout this game that set us up to be able to put a ton of points on the board. It's I think this is one of the first games where our passing yardage outstripped the running yards. So it was it was a great balance from a production standpoint, even though we it was probably you know two-thirds of our plays were rushing versus a third of them being passes. Agreed. Yeah, it's an offense that's predicated on on starting with the run and running to set up the pass. And right now, all, all things are clicking. We're operating on all cylinders at this point, at least against SMU and Memphis. Not, not that these teams are necessarily defensive stalwarts. I think they're anything but. But when you watched how we played against South Florida, against Army, against Austin P, 
there were there were lots of concerns floating around about how this offense could they produce enough points and enough it sounds crazy now honestly it just sounds crazy saying it out loud that there were concerns heading in into these matchups against the premier teams in the American athletic in terms of what we could do offensively. And, and all of those concerns have been put to rest. Um, before we dive further into the, the game itself, the details of how we're clicking, I did want to spend a little bit of time looking at some results that mattered from the past weekend in terms of where the Bearcats are at in the rankings. Uh, you know, specifically, how did we get to number six? We were number seven this week. We moved up a spot, uh, but also discussing the narrative narrative around Cincinnati in terms of how the national media is continuing to talk about the Bearcats, do how we see that playing out over the course of the season and whether we, we will be seen as legitimate playoff contenders um, as the season gets, gets, you know, wraps up here over the next five games. So in terms of results that mattered Hummer, here's, here's the games I wrote down Oklahoma state. They lost to Texas. 41-34 in overtime, a huge victory for the Longhorns, at least as in terms of how the Bearcats are concerned. Clemson came back without Trevor Lawrence against Boston College, 34-28. Georgia held on to beat Kentucky, 14-3. I'm not sure that's a, an import, uh, a performance to be proud of uh, from the Bulldogs' standpoint. Notre Dame beats Georgia Tech, 31-13. And Alabama beats Mississippi State, 41-0. Hummer, in terms of the teams I'm talking about right there and the fact that I'm talking about those are the games that matter to the Bearcats, we're not talking American athletic results at this point. We're talking results of the premier teams in the country because that's where we, we view ourselves at this point. We are vying for the fourth spot in the college football playoff. Yeah, if we're talking playoffs, let's, let's all be real. The AAC schedule doesn't matter uh, from a perspective of results because if the Bearcats do their job, we win out we're going to be in the conference championship game in this, in that sense, the ball is, is totally on our field. Uh, we have control of it. We control our own destiny in that sense. But when it comes to getting into the playoffs, honestly, I'm scared. I'm a little worried, even though we are getting in, we are in that national conversation. Um, it doesn't seem like the vast majority of people out there, or at least the, the talking heads, like I'm sure if, I'm sure if Colin Cowherd had a take on this, I'm sure it, it is something to do with Cincinnati being in a small market uh, that, you know, we're, we just don't have the star power, the brand power, and that we would get stomped by four touchdowns by every other team in the top 10. I don't think that's the case. I think we can hang with, with the best of the best. I think our schedule strength actually kind of proves, proves that as we talked, I think last week about the schedule that we played up until this point, you know, it's, Definitely has some low, you know, some low hanging fruit that's easy to pick off. But the middle of the conference, I think, is, is strong. Memphis isn't necessarily a pushover. We made them look like a pushover because we're that good. They're not SMU, a pushover at all. They're the, they're the defending champion of the conference. Right. And SMU is not a pushover. And that game, even though the score looks like a pushover, was it was a hard fought battle. Uh, but the games that get me scared is we know Clemson and Notre Dame. One of them is going to have at least one loss. That's a foregone conclusion because they're playing each other. But my worry there is if Notre Dame loses and it's a tight game, they're not going to get penalized the same way Georgia didn't get really penalized for losing to Alabama. You know, so a one-loss Notre Dame team, I still think it, it could be getting rewarded by, by the committee. I'm also worried that a one-loss Florida, who lost to Texas A&M, plays Georgia next week. If they pull out that victory – 
would coaches be willing to jump Florida over us? I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know what, how the coaches, when they're thinking about that stuff, when they're voting, if they're willing to jump us like that, but that does get me worried that, that Florida now has the ability to vault themselves into that national conversation as well. You have to realize at the end of the season, there's going to be two SEC teams that are going to be talked about, right? Alabama's going to be there because I don't see them losing. They're the team from the SEC that you kind of just pencil in. They're probably going to be undefeated heading into that conference championship game. On the other side, they're going to face likely a one-loss team in their conference championship game. And that's going to come down most likely to that Florida-Georgia matchup that everyone's going to be watching next week. The winner of that game uh, has the best possible path to, to meeting Alabama in, the, in their conference championship game. And if they find a way to upset Alabama at that point, they're going to get in the playoff. However, if Alabama goes undefeated, I'm just not all that concerned about it. I'm not that concerned about a two-loss Florida or a two-loss Georgia in terms of how the Bearcats would stack up. So I, I, I completely understand what you're saying, but I think when you factor in conference championship games, there's so much football left to be played that we're not quite a there. Georgia, a two-loss Georgia's out. That's 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 a foregone conclusion. Right. The but worry, and, though, and what is, I'm saying is, is we're, we're likely going to get there. I feel like it's kind of – we're it's all set up at this point to get there, given that Georgia already has a loss and it's going to come down to them not losing another game. And we just talked about the fact that they did not have an incredibly impressive performance against Kentucky this week. But even if they get to that conference championship game, they would have to go and upset the Crimson Tide uh, in that final game of the season. Uh, What I did want to also mention to you uh, and talk about is the fact that to me, there is a tremendous amount of pressure now on the Bearcats not to just go undefeated. Undefeated is is that's just that's a foregone let's, conclusion. We have to go say undefeated, that, yeah. right? Let's say that we're we don't want to assume things, but I'm gonna take the role of being an arrogant Bearcat supporter at this moment. You know what? I'm gonna not I'm gonna strike the word arrogant confident that the Bearcats are not gonna lose another game this season. At least at <laughs> I'm least not going there. I'm not going, I'm not going, they will not lose. They can't lose in terms of, in terms of the conversation we're having right now, which is the college football playoff. They can't lose another game. I'm saying it's not that they just can't lose another game, but it's not just that they have to, they have to win emphatically like this week in week out. Yes. And the way we we get respect is to, is to beat Memphis by 30 plus is to beat central Florida by 21 plus it's to smack down temple, smack down East Carolina, these games can't be close. If you remember last season, we struggled to pull off nail biters against against subpar competition. So far in conference play, that hasn't happened. That has to be the trend throughout the entire season. Well, I think we do have one more thing going for us. Tulsa. Uh, Tulsa needs some more results. Tulsa needs to get into that top 25 conversation and, and basically be pitting that as a, a top-ranked matchup for our final game of the season, it'll almost be like a blessing in disguise that that game got pushed to the end of the year because it gives us one more opportunity to lay a smackdown on another quality opponent. Uh, you know, and they're right there on the edge. And that's going to be, I think, I'm hoping that if, if a committee's watching this, you know, and, and they're if they're going by the analytics, how many teams out there are actually playing three ranked opponents through their short schedule? I was talking to some people earlier and I actually have zero idea how on that graphic that we posted 
about the the Allstate predictor. Rehash, how are the, it rehash, how are what the, rehash what that is. Explain what that is for the podcast listeners. Not everybody is following along on Twitter. Uh, I guess that's true. So I've got to put up. So basically, it was the it was the best chance. That it was the title of it was best chance to reach the college football playoff, and it's on There's ESPN, some, and it gives a percentage. So this is the all state college football predictor. It's like their algorithm. If you have all state insurance, now's the time to make the switch. Okay. Make the switch Cincinnati insurance. It's in your backyards, guys. Fan fantastic rates, great homeowner and auto rates, great life insurance. Products. Oh my God. Oh my God. Get the, get the plug in there. But either way, how are there, how are there pack 12 teams in this? They're going to play a seven game schedule. Like, so here, here's the odds. They had they had the the Crimson Tide, Alabama at eighty six point seven percent, Ohio State seventy four point seven percent, Clemson seventy four point four percent. Are all those make sense? And then you've got Wisconsin. Those are all too low. We know those are like 100, 100, 100. <laughs> Wisconsin, who's currently <laughs> fighting off COVID, who may not even hit the number of games they need to hit. Which, by the way, goes back to your point you made earlier this season about the Big Ten has set themselves up for failure. Because now they they don't have they can't postpone games consistently. They don't have weeks to play with here. But then they've got Georgia, Notre Dame, Oregon, South uh, Southern California, USC. Yeah, bring them, bring them young and, and Oklahoma State. Bearcats aren't even mentioned. But two of those teams are Pac-12 teams who are playing a seven-game schedule. <laughs> seven games, like. I'm sorry. I feel like that should be penalized from a college football perspective or playoff perspective because you have five less opportunities to screw up. (laughs) Like this, just being real, you know what I mean? You have less opportunities to make those mistakes and your conference isn't this powerhouse conference that it, that it was in the past, uh, you know, back in the Reggie Bush days of when we were paying everybody to go to USC. Um, so I, I don't really understand why they're getting so much, you know, uh, what do you want to call it? Benefit of the doubt. Benefit of the doubt. Right. And, um, but it's, it's the, the point of the point of bringing it up is the fact that the Bearcats are fighting an uphill battle. We're going to be an underdog on the national in the national discourse all season. And the only way to fight that is, is to continue winning games, but to continue to win games emphatically. I think they're up for the task. Oh, I mean, I think we're hundred percent. I've said that before. I said, we are going to go undefeated. The Bearcats will not lose another the game. Hummer guarantee. Year. There's nothing more valuable in this world. The question is, what is the victory of margin in those games? And that's where, that's where your point comes in. These need, these are all now statement games. It doesn't matter how bad the opponent is. It, you know, if it's ECU, you got to win by 60. Sorry. Sorry, ECU. <laughs> sorry. What we have to do to you. We have to put our foot on your throats and we have to stomp you out. <laughs> we apologize. Um, but hey, let's let's get into let's get into the game itself and talking about what we're seeing on the field. Uh, obviously, it was an incredibly fun game to watch. Not a lot of pressure felt. Wasn't a stressful experience at all. Uh, but let's talk about it a little bit. I wanted to to first kind of set you up here to talk about the past couple of weeks, given what we've done to SMU and now Memphis in terms of how badly we're beating these teams and just completely outclassing them. What do you think right now about how Luke Fickle, Freeman, you know, we'll even, we'll even throw in Denbrock. Denbrock. How are you feeling about our coaching staff right now? 
I think what the coaching staff is doing is incredible. I feel like they're doing a really good job of keeping opposing teams guessing. You know, when we played, after we played Army, when I think we talked with someone from, was it SMU or was it? Uh, yeah, we talked I, to someone from SMU. We talked to Damon. Was it Damon or? Oh, we talked to someone from We never Army. talked That's to someone from was. Army. So we, we did talk that we talked to Damon from SMU. Damon from SMU. Either way, we were talking about game plan, right? How do you how do you prepare for for the Bearcats? And we basically said, make us throw the ball. Stack the box, make us throw the ball. At and that point, at that point, uh Ritter's what, coming off three very mediocre games. He's inaccurate, he's not completing passes, he's turning the ball over. And that was kind of the formula that you would think SMU would try to trying to focus on and ever since like i said before ritter's been playing like a heisman quarterback yeah and 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 that's where i think they're doing a good job of making them guess ritter's ability to hold the ball when it late into a run play when he's deciding whether he's going to keep it himself is best in the business sometimes it's almost to the point where like i can't believe he still has the ball like he does he's such a he's such a, a really great at selling the fake or selling that he's going to run the ball himself. It, it's so good. It keeps them off, off their, on their toes, but at the same time, he's completing these passes. He's completing the short passes. He's completing some really difficult on the run short passes too, where you think he's about to take off, but then he throws a little, you know, a little floater to it, to a, a running back who can then get, you know, five yards after the catch, you know, c- complete a first down really. And those are really kind of, those are, you don't think about them as difficult passes, but they really are. You see a lot of quarterbacks missing those types of short throws when they're on the run. So I think he's doing a really good job with that. But then we also saw him hit some deep throws this week. Yep. This week, the coaching staff went into the game clearly with an idea that we can beat Memphis downfield. There's a weakness there. We're going to target it. The very first play of the game for the Bearcats on offense was a deep shot to uh, Wiley. I mean, it was they, they came out aggressive from the start. That play didn't hit, but that was just a sign of things to come. Obviously, the first touchdown for the Bearcats was a 40-plus yard completion to Alec Pierce, who went up and, and caught a rem- made a remarkable play on the ball. Uh, two hands, brought it down, fell into the end zone. It's every week what we're seeing is we're seeing and the game plan for the Bearcats and the offensive repertoire for the Bearcats has expanded the past few weeks. We went from seeing Ritter unable to complete anything beyond 10 yards, seemingly, and not being much of a threat on his feet to now accentuating his ability as a runner and using that, that ability, that ability, like you mentioned, to extend plays, to be a threat on his feet, that is opening everything else up for the Bearcats right now. And it's making us, in these last two games, just an unstoppable force offensively. I mean, well said. And then, you know, from an offensive perspective, Ritter's, Ritter's game's been been phenomenal. The running backs, I I know we talked about them, but man, we have a great combination in Ford and Dokes. I mean, we, we just have a, that's a great one, two punch right there. Uh, between those two, we're almost 200 yards off, I think 20, 27 carries. I don't, um, either way, that's, that's phenomenal production we're getting from the running backs outside of Ritter. But I think the other equation there is too, is, you know, a third of the carries are coming from Ritter. So we're, we're keeping you guessing on which way the ball's going. Ritter's basically, to me, is running the ball when he sees an opportunity. When he sees that we've sold the play and we've drawn the linebackers in or we've drawn some of those outside safeties in, 
and and they're 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 coming in to the center of the field and he's going end around it's beautiful it's just beautiful play by by Ritter it's beautiful play by our offensive line uh I think the offensive line has been much better than what the beginning of the season was I think you're seeing a lot better protection uh that's allowing Ritter to be more comfortable making those deep throws he's not getting sacked as often he's not getting hurried as often and but it also has to do too we're throwing a lot of shorter passes so we're also not giving the opposing defense as an opportunity to get to him. Uh, but I do think we've seen a great improvement uh, in the offensive line. Uh, well, definitely. I'll hold off it, on calling them elite at the moment, but yeah, I think and, and we're, honestly, we're trending like, right there. And I'm just wondering, like, I don't, I don't know that I even have the eye to be able to tell you whether an offensive line is elite or not. I mean, it becomes, there's some cases where it becomes blatantly obvious, right? Like Alabama has had historically elite offensive lines where their running backs are able to just destroy teams week in, week out. They get no, you know, defenses get no penetration on them. I don't know that that's necessarily the case for the Bearcats, but they are, a, it's a massive improvement year over year from what it was last season. The offensive line has not been the liability it was, especially in these past two games. Before we jumped on the podcast, there was something we talked about, Hummer, that I think we should bring up, which is if you go back to that Army game and you look at the distribution of plays in terms of rushes versus throws, it was basically a 50-50 split. We had, I think, Ritter topped out around 33 passes in that game, and we rushed about 35 times. Basically a 50-50 split in terms of how we were how we were executing our offense. If you look at the South Florida game, the SMU game, and now the Memphis game, the Bearcats are, are getting a much better mix in terms of how they like to structure their offense. It's a much more run-based offense at this point. Um, against Memphis, if numbers, if I'm remembering these numbers correctly, we ran the ball against Memphis. It looks like 41 times Ritter threw the ball 26 times. If you go back to the SMU game in that game, the Bearcats ran the ball 35 times Ritter threw the ball 21 times. It's much closer to a one throw for two rushes type attack that type of balance in the offense, I think, is what you can attribute this productivity to. You know, against South Florida, it was a similar ratio. Did we see the same level of explosion? No, but that's a game where Ritter was missing passes. That's a game where Ritter was still struggling with turnovers. Once you've cut back now on the turnovers, and once Ritter's accuracy has gone up a level, we're seeing a team that's much more productive on offense by leading with the run. By focusing well, I'll, I'll, on Dokes, by focusing on Ford, by focusing on Ritter using his feet again. That's what I was going to challenge you on on the on the rushing stats there, and only really wanted to challenge you on one thing. And you just mentioned it: Ritter running the ball is key. South Florida, we had the set that ratio you're talking about, but Ritter only ran the ball four times. Part of what keeps the off or the defensive guessing is which way are we going to run the ball, and Ritter's ability, like I mentioned before to fake the handoff when he sees that, that the opposing defense have committed to, to crashing the inside of the line to then take it into round is a key part in what makes him so good. Besides that, you know, obviously we have designed quarterback runs. We have those types of plays, but Ritter has a, I think a really unique ability in the way he sells the, the handoffs. I think he's really good at it. I think it makes it very challenging for opposing defenses to stop that. He's also pretty good with, at reading the options too. He's really good at, at reading the options and when to kick the ball and turn it upfield. So, you know, I think that's the biggest difference of what we're seeing these last two, three games is that we're seeing Ritter run the ball more. 
And we're seeing that translate into production all over the field. It's opening up more opportunities for the rest of the offense to shine. Ritter's running is particularly devastating in the, in the red zone. So once we get inside the 20 yard line and we saw it twice in this game against Memphis, that, that TD he scored in the second quarter was Ritter on a 13 yard run. That wasn't a designed run. That's Ritter making plays with his feet, getting to the corner, beating the defense to the pylon. And then in the third quarter, Ritter with another nine, nine yard run looked very similar to that first half TD. It's devastating for defenses. You're chasing around wide receivers. You're chasing around running backs. You're chasing around tight ends. There's so many weapons on offense at this point. We talked, we talked about it every week at this point. It, I said, I feel like we sound like a broken record. There's such a vast array of weapons now on this team. Michael Young, Alec Pierce. And I hope, I hope Alec Pierce is healthy. I hope he's able to get right because his downfield threat is, is much needed on this team. He's able to go up and win 50, 50 balls from the defense. But that red zone ability of Ritter to extend plays both to pass and to run, I think it's what is making them so damn effective these last two weeks. Well, I would be just a clown to not mention, too, that we had some huge fourth down stops in this game. One of them, Memphis, just knocking on the door, just dying for a touchdown, dying to put points up on the board, go for it on a huge I think it was fourth and goal, fourth and one, just a huge stop by the cats. I think we had two more fourth down, fourth down stops. Uh, huge. I'm looking to see if one of these last remaining games, I want to see a shutout. I know, I know I'm being selfish there. or I'm starting to get a little greedy, but I do want to see this defense put up a shutout this season. Uh, I mean, in modern college football, you're asking a lot, especially hey. these last two games. Goddamn. A, a 13-point performance from SMU and a 10-point performance from Memphis. To greedy. me, that that sure as hell feels like a shutout, basically. Because these, hey, I'm are, getting, these I'm are getting these are explosive greedy. offenses. Hey, I'm getting greedy. I've said that. I'm okay with that though. <laughs> I want to see a shutout though. I feel like they're so close to being like they could be perfect. They're you know that that perfect game. It is no points being scored. Um, I just want to I want to see it for them. Um, and I just I want to see more of what of what they're what they're capable of. Um, but who's your MVP of the week? Uh, my MVP of the week uh, didn't spend much time thinking about it, but I got to be honest, my MVP of the week, I'm, I'm going to give it to Dez again. I think Dez, I think it's, I, to me, the call is between our defense and Dez. And it's been like that for two straight weeks. Whether you want to narrow that down to one particular person on the defense I think that's a fruitless proposition because ultimately this defense is impressive because of how well-rounded they are and because of how strong they are at every position and every level. But to me, the Bearcats have gone up a level because Des Ritter has improved his play. He went from struggling in the first three games to being a dominant offensive force these past two games. And to me, he's warranted being called the MVP of this team the past two weeks. What about you? So my MVP of the week, I'm going to go different here. I'm going defensive side of the ball. Defense never gets their props, right? They, they, they slug through. They're the backbone of this team. We all know it. But from an MVP perspective, all the glory goes to the offense. You know, the quarterbacks at the end of the day are always the one who tell the world they're going to Disneyland. But my pick this week is my Jay Sanders. He had a phenomenal game. He had six, I believe it was six tackles five solo tackles, 
one and a half sacks, two and a half tackles for a loss, and he had a, a hurry on the QB. An absolute stud. He was a nightmare in the backfield of Memphis all day, all game. Tremendous job by my Jay. That's my MVP pick of the week. My runner-up is Travis Kelsey, who continues to be a beacon <laughs> of just absolute wonderful juju for the Bearcat community and having uh, having other Chiefs players walking around Kansas City with his jersey on. <laughs> Travis is, a, is an awesome representative of the Bearcats and keeps us on the map out there in Kansas City. It's nice that the best modern-day Bearcat football player in, in recent history is also on one of the most dominant teams in the NFL. It's a lot of pub. It's a lot of press for the Cincinnati Bearcats. And he's honestly one of the most popular faces in the NFL right now. Yes. Like, yes. He, he's not Pat Mahomes. I get it. Who has more swag in the NFL right now than Travis Kelsey? Right? Maybe, well, his brother at one point did. <laughs> After the Super Bowl, yes. I don't know if that's swag or I don't know what it was. It was something. We're from Philly and nobody likes us. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, we, you know what? We have been, we have not talked about the defense enough in this, in this podcast. And that's what's worth mentioning, Hummer, is the fact that Memphis, up until late in the fourth quarter, had negative yards rushing for the game. In terms of their touch, look, they're scoring for the game. They scored 10 total points. Seven of those points came in the first quarter on a 92-yard screen pass to a wide receiver. Other than that, they did nothing this entire game. Um, they did have a couple drives where they moved the ball, and you mentioned before there were some key fourth-down stops. But we held this team to five yards rushing for the entire game. Remarkable. Remarkable performance. And Marcus Freeman just keeps to do doing magical things. Uh, you know, if the donor base is out there listening – uh, maybe this is the year where we we donate even more to just already re-up. Let's just re-approach Fickle and uh, Marcus Freeman about staying the the dynamic duo that they are, uh, you know, and continue continue building good things. Let's get statues for both men outside of Nipper Stadium when we win a national championship this year. Wow, you went from preseason not really putting the respect on Fickle's name because he had never won the American to. Hey, statues. you win us a natural champion. You, you win a in five games. In five games, you've completely changed course, and now you're putting statues up of Fickle and his defensive coordinator. Only if you win a national championship. I think that's warranted. No well, championship, no statues. Freeman's been incredible, honestly. He's he he just he works magic on the defensive side of the ball. These guys come prepared week in, week out. What I love about our defense, one thing we mentioned this a couple weeks ago our defense is such a freaking advantage in the American athletic. There's nobody else in the conference. You know, Tulsa is probably the only other team that has a defense worth a damn. Everyone else has, it doesn't play defense. And so we go into every game knowing that, Hey, on one side of the ball, we have a Trump card that you simply do not. And now that the Bearcats and Ritter on offense are actually functioning like an elite offense. If we continue playing like this, there is just no stopping us in this conference. Um, I it's such, it's such a, it's such a luxury for as a fan to have a defense where even when there's a drive where Memphis moves the ball down the field, we give up a few plays. Even once a team gets into the red zone, you know this team's going to stay locked in. You know there's still a chance that we're going to either force a turnover or stop them on four downs. It's it's an incredible defense. They, they're just relentless in terms of their pursuit of the ball. 
in terms of how they ball hawk. I mean, the quarterback for Memphis did get up over, what is it, Brady White. Brady White got up over 300 yards in this game, but barely completed over 50% of his passes. We made life a living hell for Brady White in this game. Hell yeah, we did. Uh, so, football, the game, we crushed, we dominated, we're in the press, we're, we're getting some phenomenal vibes from, from a few of the talking heads out there. We're number six in the country. All things seem at this point in time to be clicking. The offense is clicking. The defense is smashing. On the basketball front, I did notice that the schedule is under construction and will be released as soon as it's available per GoBearCats.com. I find it weird that we don't have a schedule yet to talk about. Well, um, John, no, John Brandon actually addressed this in his podcast with Dan Horde. So I'm, let not, me, I'm not like nervous. I'm not nervous. No, no, I'm no. Just, you know. I, let me explain though. Let me explain what's yeah. going on. So he actually, he addressed, addressed it head on. Dan Horde mentioned the website. He mentioned the under construction. And what John Brandon said is that, you know, obviously the preseason NIT, as we know, it fell through. They went from playing in New York to playing in Orlando in a bubble to the ESPN bubble crumbling. And now they're, they're figuring other mini bubble type tournaments out with other teams. There are some teams who want to play two games. There are some teams who want to play four games. The Bearcats are trying to set themselves up in a situation where they're going to play in one of these tournaments. And I'm putting that in air quotes and they're going to try and play two games. What's... If they do play those two games, basically the whole, the whole schedule's finished outside of that. They're waiting to announce it until they figure out whether that conference, I'm sorry, whether that preseason tournament is happening or not. All right. So let me, let me ask you a question for some wishful thinking here. Two games. Two opponents. Who's your wish list for opponents you would want to see us play? Can it just be anybody in the world, or do I have to be somewhat realistic with this? Uh, you know, I like the exercise of being somewhat realistic, like a college team. You know, I don't want to see us playing the Lakers anywhere in the world. Um, no, I mean, I'm like, thinking, who, who look, would your I... wish list of things that you think that, like, are realistically might be able to happen in teams that you want to see us play? Like I'd say Duke is not realistic. I don't think Duke's realistic. I don't think Kentucky's realistic. I don't think Louisville's realistic this season. Um, so if I'm looking at local teams in our area where a driving, you know, a driving matchup is very feasible, man, put me on the spot. You know, in terms of what's not being talked about you can, right now, you can where, limit it to more than two, too. Like, you know, if you're just throwing some, some, teams, I mean, you, uh, want to you know, one team that's out there, and this is not necessarily a sexy name, but they were very good last season. John Brandon has a relationship with their coach. Dayton would be a decent matchup to throw in last minute uh, for oh, yeah. a non conference schedule. So Dayton is a good name. I like playing Dayton in, in general anyway. We should uh, play them every year. That should be a, that should, there should be like a, a, a tournament every year that's us, Louisville. Uh, Xavier, Dayton, Ohio State. You know, bring us uh, the Hoosiers. Bring us the Hoosiers. Bring us you know, Indiana. There's not a lot of history there, but you know, I'd love to take on the uh, little little Miller, <laughs> Archie. <laughs> Archie. Uh, he left, so he, and Dayton got the greatest, one of the greatest players in college basketball history. <laughs> it does sound like they're close to to launching that schedule. It sounds like, look, we're going to have college basketball late November. We owe, we owe the listeners an apology for as much as Hummer and I appreciate everybody listening to this podcast. We did say on the last episode we would come out with the basketball preview episode last week. Look, our man Hummer here is getting his MBA. The man is working. The schedule is a little more limited. We don't have the same flexibility we used to. 
we do apologize for not having the basketball preview episode, but it's coming this week and it's coming with someone you, you, you know, and love. That's all I'm, I'm going to say. You're just going to say, I'm, I'm already here every, as always. <laughs> true. True. Someone that <laughs> someone, you know, and love that's not Hummer. Basically I'm just getting, I'm getting restless. I'm getting antsy. I'm really excited about basketball. Uh, I'm really pumped about seeing the, the, the roster as John Brandon has constructed it because last year's team was fun. Let's, let's not discount what we saw last year. It was a fun and wild ride up until the abrupt ending. That was uh, the shortened season. But at the same time, we didn't get to see John Brandon's vision of basketball in, in another sense, you know, and now that basically the rosters for the most part, almost turned over, uh, there's definitely some remains of, of Mick Cronin's recruiting here, but it's not the majority of the roster at this point. It only took one year essentially to have almost a full roster turnover, or I say two seasons for a full roster turnover um, to where we're going to see a lot of what John Brandon has to offer in terms of coaching his style, uh, you know, a different style of play that we're not used to as Bearcat fans. I'm excited to see what it's going to bring. I'm excited to see what these these uh, these freshmen that recruited last year, the freshmen that we brought in this year. Um, I'm also incredibly enticed by the rumor that you brought up to me about Zach Harvey and Keith Williams going at it head to head in practice, and just Zach Harvey not only holding his own, but in some cases maybe even showing signs of 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 a good inter team rivalry there. I don't wow. want to say. Sport. I was gonna say spoiler alert. I was gonna save that. I'm gonna. I was gonna hold that one for the basketball preview because I'm basically so, forcing you into a little mini so basketball juicy, preview. It's so good. Um, I'm not gonna do it, Hummer. I'm gonna leave people. I'm gonna drop a little bit of knowledge uh, on what's been happening in practice, on what the environment's like, on what the chemistry is like. I'd highly recommend everyone go watch John Brandon's 22 minute interview with Dan Horde that goes over his initial thoughts on the team. A couple things jump out and we can just, we can hit on basketball quickly. We're not going to do a full fledged preview here, but things that I love to hear. So when he talked about Chris vote, the first thing he said about Chris vote was him taking a major leap forward in passing the ball. We hammered this last season that with the double teams coming, because he is such a freaking low down low that if he's going to get doubled, he has to be able to punish teams with good passes to good shooters. Well, John Brandon went ahead and addressed the good shooters part. We do have shooters across the board on this team, whether you look at guys like David DeJulius, Micah Adams-Woods, Harvey, Keith Williams, all these guys can knock down three-pointers to an extent, so there's no shortage of guys who can of hit, hit shots from the outside this season. But now if Chris Vogt's going to take a step forward in passing the ball, that makes him so much more deadly on offense and so much more easier. So it makes it so much easier to keep him on the court this season. So 100%. That, that was the first thing that jumped out to me that I, that I loved hearing. Another thing was he was very excited to talk about Mamadou Diara. He was excited yeah. to talk about, about the fact that Mamadou is not going to be thinking on the court as much anymore. And we saw that in last season, right? The first start at the start of the season, maybe first 10 games or so Mamadou just looked like he didn't get it. He looked unplayable back 20 games uh, or the last 20 games of the season, Mamadou is just, you know, uh, he was dynamite for the team. He was knocking shots down from the outside at an unsustainable clip. He was defending like hell. 
rebounding well. What Brandon acknowledged is that he was easily, is easily the best defender on the team on screens. And when you think about how basketball is played today, that is incredibly valuable. So to me, that says Mamadou Diarra is going to get his, get his high teens or 20 minutes per game easy. It's going to be hard to keep that guy off the court. Um, so you've got Chris Vogt's passing. You've got Mamadou Diarra's defense. And then there's some, some comments in the press that John Brandon made about David DeJulius about his leadership and about how well he is complimenting quiet guys like Keith Williams and Chris Vogt and that he's very vocal and he's the hardest worker he's ever coached. And you pair that with the skills he has, the on-ball skills and the off-ball skills. Look, the Bearcats, they're so freaking deep. It's going to be a really fun team to talk about, a really fun team to watch, and we're less than four weeks away. I'm I'm giddy. I've got goosebumps. If last year was any indication, we saw a lot of almost like two teams, you know, two group, two personnel groups they were bringing in, you know, keep guys fresh. I think we're going to see a lot of that this year because I think we do have the depth on this squad to run basically two top tier teams. I think you're going to have a group of starters that, that is utilized more. Uh, but then I think you're going to have a rotation. Um, and then as guys are struggling and whatnot, you know, you'll see the, your typical substitutions as you would, but I could see a, a nice two team rotation kind of forming out of the group of guys that we have, because there's really going to be no need really to have, unless you really want to just met, you're just struggling to have a lineup that features Chris vote and uh, Rapalus in the, on the court at the same time necessarily you know, or maybe a combination of Mamadou Rapolis and uh, Chris Vogt, you know, three big guys wanting to spread them out in certain ways, madness. you know, madness, right? There's so many different combinations for lineups that we can have. Um, the analytics is actually going to be kind of crazy going through, uh, going through the analytics in, in the websites that we belong to and seeing the utilization of groups of players. Oh, oh I'm getting excited. <laughs> Get excited, buddy. It's going to be a fun team, um, but let's leave it there. I want to, I want to come back. We're going to record on Tuesday night, election night, weird, a weird decision by us, but we're going to um, do it. I also, do, do we know, does Mike Saunders Jr. still have his hair? I, th- I heard eventually that. No, 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 um, no, no, no. He's got his hair, man. He's got the hair. He's got the okay. look. And he's added, Brandon... it looks like he's added about 15 pounds of muscle. Mike Saunders Jr. looks awesome. And he's getting raved about. That's another guy Brandon talked about. So, uh, well, I know Brandon, Brandon made a comment about his hair when we were, um, uh, last season when we were talking when he got when he first signed on something about making him get his hair cut because um you know i think we got a legitimate competition here between the best hair on the team between mike saunders jr Jer- uh, jeremiah davenport and gabe gabe madsen we got, uh, we got i some... don't think it's much of a competition at all i think mike saunders jr has it in the bag you think he has it in the bag in the I'm bag just, i'm just seeing in the bag there. <laughs> in the bag well hey let's leave people on one note here for football for the upcoming week of college football. There are a few games we're going to be keeping our eye on Clemson versus Notre Dame. It's already been announced that Trevor Lawrence will not be playing in that game. That adds an interesting uh, wrinkle. One that I don't love for us. I don't love it. I don't love that wrinkle. It's not a good one. Why is um, he not playing? COVID. Is his COVID that bad? Two weeks? In terms of the, in terms of the protocols that Clemson as a school has decided they go through to get a player back on the field, uh, Dabo has already said that he's he's not going to be available for Notre Dame. So there's too many tests he has to go through. They're not just going to have him get cleared and then come play without practicing, without doing proper testing. Uh, so good on Clemson, doing the right thing, taking their time. Uh, but it is a bummer in terms of how that could affect how the committee evaluates this game. And who knows? Uh, but besides that, there's Florida versus Georgia. We mentioned that before. 
and then a game that's not necessarily of teams that are ahead of us in the standings, but they are in the same group of five category. BYU is matched up against Boise State, and that is an intriguing game, at least where I'm sitting. Yeah, you know, I kind of just just sounds really selfish, but I don't really care. You want to see BYU <laughs> lose just so they get off that All-State uh, playoff predictor. Now, I don't know what algorithms All-State's using. Um, I know it's not really All-State, but, you know, whatever algorithms go behind that to determine those, those predictors. Uh, you know, once, like we said, the biggest thing, we're watching those games. The, big, the most important games that we can watch are honestly the Cats. They need to do – they need to go out there and do their thing. They need to punish opponents. They need to keep their foot on the gas. This is, this is the exact time that you want everything clicking because you need to just continue to hammer the football down the opponent's throats. Uh, it's, this is the time to be aggressive. Uh, Luke Fickle has shown time and time again that that's his MO. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to go out there. Uh, we're going to go for it on fourth downs. We're going to go for it in some situations maybe that makes people wonder. Um, but he has faith in the offense that they're able to get those one or two yards. He has faith in our defenses that they're able to stop opponents. So I think, I think we got a lot to look forward to. I'm excited about it. Um, this week goes out to uh, McColl Harmon uh, walking around in an old school Travis Jersey in Kansas city. Uh, spreading spreading the uh, the go Bearcats football uh, what a what a gentleman what a scholar uh, what a great time to be a, a bandwagon Bearcats fan this podcast goes out to not drinking beer during it anymore way too much way too much gas in the chest so uh but cheers to, <laughs> cheers to McCall Hardman